Welcome to the podcast. My name is Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm talking today with Samantha, who goes by Sam Hammer of Melrose, and Ted Steinberg of Needham. They are doing something very unusual today in Massachusetts politics, taking on an incumbent in a primary. It's almost unheard of in our state, where political competition is rare. Sam is running against Senator Jason Lewis of Winchester, and Ted is running against Representative Denise Garlick of Needham. The primary, everybody should remember, is September 4th. Let's start with you, Sam. Why are you running against the senator? Um, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a fan of the pod. So um, I never thought I'd be running for office. I'm usually the person on the inside of government doing the work of public service. Um, but it is clearer than ever that we need new voices on Beacon Hill to get us the progress we deserve. And one thing I talk about is bringing perspective to the table. It's one thing to have compassion for people, but it's quite another to have actually walked in their shoes. And I care about working family issues because I have lived them and we are still living them. We are suffering from an economic crisis of student loan debt, affordable housing, the cost of childcare, and cost of senior care, and it is just crushing working families today in Massachusetts. Um, and when I went to go talk to my senator about the cost of childcare specifically, that I had two kids in our public preschool system and it was costing me $2,800 per month, I got no response. That's when I knew that we had a problem here and we needed somebody who was gonna advocate for us on the ground and understand our issues and we needed somebody with perspective at the table. Now, I before I get to you, Ted, on the same question, I have to follow up. They didn't. The senator didn't respond to you on that question. I was shocked that his visage did not change. And then I waited, and we proceeded to talk about the commuter rail, oh. which is also a problem. Right. I totally get it. Um, but we are never going to make headway on universal pre-K if we don't have people at the table who actually get the cost that it, of child care and the cost of preschool in Massachusetts. Ted, why are you running? Yeah, I also want to thank you for having me here. Uh, I, I see we're at a moment that calls for new energized leadership that matches the urgency for action that we really need. And it's evident that just staying the course isn't enough. And you look at the state house right now, and there seems to be a disconnect between support for legislation and actual action that will pass these laws. Because we see the limitations of support. Support in and of itself did not get us the education reform that's long overdue. It didn't get us the environmental legislation that will actually make a difference. It failed to protect our LGBTQ youth because we didn't even ban conversion therapy. This is Massachusetts. We're supposed to be leading the way on these issues, but we're lagging behind. And I think we actually see it the most in the failure of the Safe Communities Act. The fact that after six years, we've been working on this bill. Now, as it becomes much more urgent in the public mind. And as the legislature themselves acknowledges that, they, they publicly called out the federal administration and, and their immigration policy, but then they failed to even get that a vote on the floor. So we're living with a system that's broken, a system that doesn't reflect the public. It, it just reflects the speaker. And I think when you have that centralized power, unless we actually change who represents us in this body, we're just going to continue down this pattern of passive policymaking. So I'm running to be not just a vote in the state house, but actually a voice for change. Someone who's going to stand up for action, 
someone who's going to be fighting for the bills and laws that actually reflect Massachusetts values, it's something that we lack in the legislature. Now, you both sound fantastic, but most people would go, you know, they're upset. Well, most people look at what happened last week when the legislature wrapped up its session, going to about one in the morning, trying to do as much as they could at the very last minute and go, oh, my God. But most people don't swallow hard and then say, I'm going to run and I'm going to run in against an incumbent. So just for our listeners, most offices, when there's an opening, when if someone leaves office, someone dies in office, someone runs for a higher office, that's when you see a lot of candidates come in, many oftentimes. But the running against the incumbent is the, is the big problem we have in terms of creating competition in the state. Sam, that, that I, I realize where you live dictates what you can run for, but um, it's a tall order. And most people would say, you guys don't have a chance, I think. Tell me why you do have a chance. Um, I have a chance because, according to conventional theory, doors matter. We have been knocking on doors. We have been meeting voters. Um, I uh, I was working at the state before, and I left my job to do this because I couldn't actually be a full-time candidate and a public employee. Um, my kids were in kindergarten, so we saved that $2,800 a month for quite some time. But um, we have a chance because the people are not being heard. And they just want representation at the table. Um, my uh, opponent is seemingly very well liked. He's fine. People say he's fine. And he is fine. And I voted for him as well. And I think I even gave him 20 bucks at one point. But he's fine for the system that we have. But the question is whether that system is working for you. Because it's not working for me. And it's not working for Ted. And so I pulled papers in February not knowing that there would be a colossal failure in the fourth quarter. That's not how I play. I want to make sure that if we're going to actually make legislation and do something in the state, it happens a lot sooner so that we can have these conversations much, much earlier. 2017 was the least active year on Beacon Hill in over 20 years after they passed their pay raises within two weeks. We can do so much better. Ted, you want to take a shot at that? Running against an incumbent. Why are you trying to take out an incumbent? Absolutely. You know, I'd like to start, I do have the utmost respect for Rep Garlic and her years of public service. It, it comes down to me doing this differently. I have a different style of governance and a different style of leadership. And it kind of goes in two ways. One of it is I don't support the centralization of power that is right now plaguing our state house and hindering us from getting the progress that we need. And as you said, 2017 was the least productive year on Beacon Hill. We don't have to wait till the midnight hour to try to go for reforms. We don't have to wait till the last minute to try to get laws passed. And we saw what happens when we do. It's the result of, uh, of a culture on Beacon Hill that lacks transparency and lacks accountability. When you hide behind unrecorded votes, the vast majority of the votes are unrecorded. And when you actually vote to make roll calls and committees unpublished, you're taking the public out of the policymaking process. This is supposed to be the people's house, not the speaker's house. And my opponent is someone who's part of that leadership, someone who's not fighting for us and not fighting for our values in our district. And, you know, on, on the other end of the stick, it's also just a, a lack of proactive policy advocacy. It, it comes down to being at the forefront of these issues and uh, really being there to, to push the envelope forward, whether that's communicating with the public or actually trying to lead the charge towards the policies that will move us forward and actually 
give us the progress that we need. Yeah. And Ted, when you're out going door to door to door in Needham, what do you what do you find? What are people telling you? I'd say there's a large consensus that politics as it is right now is just not what it should be. It's people who are frustrated. It's people who see this inaction, and that's just not what they want. It's not what they voted for. You know, they they don't vote for someone to uh, just wait till the last minute and then say they tried as hard as they could but not get results. They vote to try to get the actual laws that they want and the laws that they need. Um, so we've actually been pleasantly surprised by the uh, by the doors. I've knocked on thousands of doors. I, I agree with you. Doors is what wins elections. That's something I learned from campaigns in the past that I've worked on. It's what I learned from uh, working in Congress where I was a, a legislative staffer there. It, people vote for someone who's going to come to their door and, as I say, what can I do for you? It's someone who cares about the people in this district, and I know that because I grew up here. I grew up in my community. I went to schools here. I played sports here. And the values of our community, actually, they really rub off on you. And, and they inspired me to run. It was my kindergarten teacher, Miss Albuquerque, who was the first person to tell me to run for office. Mm. That, that really sticks with you. And it's what really pushed me to go towards and, and pursue opportunities in politics. It's why I worked as a constituent caseworker in, in, at the statehouse level. Having people come in and say, I need your help. And being able to say, all right, let me help you. Let me help you navigate through the bureaucracy that is because it's challenging to do that. So we really need people who are going to understand the issues of the people uh, in our districts and be willing to fight through uh, the establishment institutions that exist to actually get the change that we need. Sam, what are you hearing when you're knocking on doors? Um, I'm hearing all positive things as well. People are really frustrated with Beacon Hill. Um, as soon as I say we need new voices on Beacon Hill to get us the progress we deserve, they say, yes, you have my vote. Um, they're... Um, eyes light up when I tell them that I've actually worked in public service. I was a Boston public high school teacher and they say, yes, you have my vote. They want people who get it. They want people who have actually served the public and understand what bad policies can do to people and what good policies can do to empower people. They want experience and they want passion because passion is what separates those who do a good enough job and do as they're told and take those votes from those who are willing to push the boundaries of what's possible and advocate for the people that, that hired them in the first place. Now, I was curious, um, Ted, this may be a good question for you. There was a guy, um, uh, Solomon Goldstein Rose, very young guy, maybe you're about your age, who ran for an open seat in Amherst, uh, two years ago, and he won. And um, I remember we did an interview with him, and his big passionate issue was climate change. And he talked about, you know, pushing for that issue at the state house and changing the state house culture. And then he left. Uh, he, he decided he wouldn't seek re-election. And again, I'll, I'm the reporter, so I'll sound like a cynic all the time. But uh, new people come up to the state house quite often, and there is a culture. Uh, it is sort of a seniority system, like a lot of legislatures are. And so when you come in initially, there's not a whole lot of influence or power that you have. And yet you're talking like you're going to change things. How do you, are you realistic about what you can do when, if you're elected? I, I more than understand that it's very difficult for uh, one person to go in and, and act on behalf of the whole legislature. And that's not what the system is set up to do. I'm here to represent my constituents to the best of my abilities and act every single day doing everything I can 
to actually make the changes they want to see. That's something that we're lacking. Um, but I also think one voice can do a lot. One voice can push the envelope on these issues. And I like to point to Rep Zoglio and the stand that she took uh, against the practice of non-disclosure agreements that the state was doing for staffers that complained and filed complaints about sexual assault. She fought and got a vote on that. And I know that if people can actually stand up in, on the House floor, speak out, use every tool in their legislative toolbox, we actually can get the votes that we're not getting right now. They may not always pass, just like that. But in terms of other legislation, you look at the Safe Communities Act, if that got to the floor, I'm convinced it would pass. The problem is it won't even get to the floor. So if we have people who are going to be out there fighting every single day and actually doing everything they can, I actually do see us making the changes that we want. The legislature had no problem reconvening after the session was over to fix the animal racing bill. Not that that's not an important issue, but right now we have other things and other problems that are persisting. They're not doing everything they can. So if we continue to have legislatures come in here with that pledge and with that mindset, I do believe we'll be able to change the entire culture. Sam, take a shot at that too. How, how do you go about changing a culture that's pretty ingrained and there's a lot of chairmanships and what mm -hmm. have you with, with additional money that ride on mm -hmm. towing the line <laughs> and moving up. How do you change that? Sure. Uh, so I hold in very high esteem um, the women of the Senate. Um, they have been my mentors. I have known them. I've worked with them already. And so I'm not going in there not knowing um, how they operate and how they function. Because I, I, I say I'm an, I've been an old lady in government and I've been around a lot. I used to work at City Hall in Boston, and I've been at the state for uh, long enough to know how that budget gets spent. And so I'm not going in and learning on the job. I've already done that. I've learned on the job. And so some of the minutia of moving uh, one line item to another, moving child care and, or universal pre-K from the early ed um, and child care department and agency over to the Department of Education where it belongs, that's not rocket science. But you have to have perspective and, and understand how the state actually functions in order to just peel that apart and move it over quickly. Um, but it's not only the conversations that are being had that we're not getting progress on. There are so many conversations not even being had at the table because our voice, our working families are not at that table. And so that's what bothers me. It bothers me that um, we have in order to get paid family medical leave and raise the minimum wage, we, the constituents, have to do the hard work of four ballot initiatives to drag them to that table. I am, I, we shouldn't have to do their jobs for them. I want to go there and just get the job done. So you, you brought this up, you mentioned a couple times that you work for the state. Tell me a little bit about your background so that listeners know. Sure. So um, I first was a Boston Public High School teacher teaching technology with no computers that worked. And so I quickly turned the class into uh, civics education, and it's now the capstone for all the students to graduate from that high school. I then later went to work uh, at City Hall in Boston in economic development. I was at the former BRA, um, the BPDA, and in economic development, um, and was brought on to the South Boston Waterfront Revisioning Project day two through year two. So turning an innovation district uh, or in, out of parking lots was my job. And mm -hmm. it was amazing. And I learned a lot about how companies started, thrived, and, um, and really scaled in Massachusetts and how to, how to attract global companies. I had twins. And so it cost me to go back to work. It was my entire check plus an extra $10 take-home pay 
every week for the luxury of employment. Mm. And I never would have left. I never would have left. Um, but I had an opportunity to um, help startups at, uh, running a company outside, um, albeit from my home, uh, to help startups understand their fundraising trajectory. So again, working with companies all over Massachusetts and beyond. I got back into state service in 2014 as a women's leadership fellow um, and landed in technology where I worked as a director of strategic partnerships. I never could say it. (laughs) 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 Connecting work that the state was doing, procuring IT at tens of million dollars per purchase um, to better, faster, cheaper uh, startup companies that were on the outside to test things to see if it worked first before we procured them. Um, I built a small digital services team there so we could build stuff really fast or buy stuff really cheaply and just see, again, if it worked before procuring massive projects. And then um, after the administration changed, I moved to the Treasury. Um, It it was amazing to be in an enlightened workplace with a progressive woman running it where we already had paid family medical leave. Um, Not that I needed it anymore, but my colleagues were partaking. But I worked, uh, I was embedded in the Office of Economic Empowerment. So through technology, helping that department close the gender wage gap through Equal Pay MA find kindergartners in the Worcester public school system to help them start college savings accounts, work with veterans and service members to find them digitally to give them their bonus money that they deserve that we have at the state, and working with seniors to help them understand the financial their personal finances and how to, how to make sure that they can make it through their end of time. But I quit. I love that job very much. But I knew I could not sit idle by for another two years, and so I took a risk. Because paid paid leave and minimum wage and all of the things, housing bill, Chapter 70 reform, they were all supposed to happen. And not all of them did. The major ones did not happen. The systemic ones, the ones that we needed to get through did not happen. And man, I am glad I pulled papers. Because now I've been fired up the entire time, but now I have, I'm riding the, the sails across the finish line. And you've been involved in sort of stirring things up in Melrose, too. Oh, yes. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. So usually I get brought in, I get asked to disrupt things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I learned that uh, at City Hall, they kept putting me on projects that were contrarian to what was actually happening. So again, the South Boston Waterfront, the Innovation District was contrarian to the entire building because there was already a master plan. And we said, we're doing something else. Um, and so in Melrose, I was on the Women's Commission. This is not as contrarian, but focusing on the state of child care as an issue and really push, pushing for the first time a legislative agenda through that body. And I was also the chair of the Melrose Democratic City Committee at a time when we had more um, impassioned people coming to us looking for a way to plug in and get their angst out. They wanted to do something, not just sit and talk about politics. And so I said, when they go low, we go local. And I focused them all on our local elections, which they have never really done before. Um, we were energized around a slate of, um, of, of uh, candidates that were running, which they had never done before. And we knocked doors and hung door hangers, which they had never done before. And we swept. So I usually get asked, uh, at times I get hired, to disrupt the system. Um, because it needs it. It needs just to be um, uh, woken up and restructured um, and refocused on what it's actually supposed to be doing. Now, Ted, uh, you mentioned your kindergarten teacher was one of the first to tell you to to run. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your background. You've mentioned a few things, but not in a very chronological order, just not a lengthy one, but just give us some highlights of of your background. Sure. So, you know, I 
I've always been involved in the political side of things. I think it's a product of having a dad who's a lawyer and a mom who's a social worker. You put that together and you get politics. Um, and for me, you know, I'd always been doing student government. I enjoyed being a resource for people, again, helping them navigate through whatever bureaucracy it was that I was a part of. And then uh, after my sophomore year of college, I uh, ended up taking time off. I was a, an intern at the state house level uh, doing constituent services and then uh, ended up working for Gabby Giffords uh, and her gun violence prevention efforts. And just amazing to watch her do her work. Talk about someone who uh, never backs down from a fight and someone who's willing to go up against the NRA and someone who's willing to go up against the uh, inaction in Congress and just continue to fight every single day. And for her, I organized her nine state in nine days protect all women tour, which was bringing together community leaders and law enforcement officials and elected officials and really trying to find the solutions for the correlation between uh, firearms in a home and domestic violence. And these are real issues that that we can actually push forward a change for. And it was great to learn from her and her entire team. And then from there, I worked in Congress. I worked for uh, the state rep who uh, I was interning for. He won a Congress seat, and they asked me to join him uh, in D.C. And, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. So uh, did a lot of work with him. And fighting for legislation when you're in the minority in Congress, you understand that good policy speaks for itself. When you have a good bill, people will support it. Even as a Democrat putting forward legislation in a republicly held Congress, we got bills passed. So in terms of our conversation earlier about how you're going to go in there and make the change on your own, I really do believe good legislation speaks for itself. And people will support good ideas. They, they want to support their communities. It's just that difference between support and action, which is something that I've learned through my experience in government. Once you drive it, people will jump, people will jump on the bus with you. So is the... The challenge of going up and against an incumbent, if there's an open seat, lots of sort of newcomers jump in, and you're all on the sort of same footing. But for our listeners, incumbents tend to have more money in their mm -hmm. bank account because they've been in office for a long time, and people will, all sorts of people will donate to them. We'll leave it at that. And um, so they have money. They've done been through it before. They have a, a base of power. How do you attack that, Sam, if, if you're coming in from the outside? So the money is very real. Uh, my incumbent not only had, I think it was around 130 some odd thousand dollars uh, to start with, but also um, has self-funded a lot of his uh, political career. And so we knew where we lacked in money, we had to make up for in noise. And so um, we, we, that's what we did. We are in the newspaper. We have a ton of earned media, but we are all over social media. Um, our communications, um, uh, infrastructure, our communications game is very, very strong. I say if only people could vote on Facebook, we would have won already. Um, <laughs> but it's just about getting our message out there and name recognition and and, and social media is free. Um, and the, the boosting is very minimal. So we don't need to compete on money. We also don't need to compete on establishment anymore. Um, a lot of the establishment um, at the city level and at the state level absolutely slammed the door in my face. And these are people that I knew before. These are people I had worked with before. And, um, you know, as a person who is, again, coming from the inside, it's kind of stepping forward, um, I have a little bit of a scarlet letter on my chest. But I wear that proudly because um, at the end of the day, it's the establishment that got us into this place. Um, they're lovely. They need me up there. I'm happy to help them uh, disrupt the system and get things done. Um, but the establishment's been pretty tough. 
Um, also, uh, organized, I talk about endorsements because my, my incum- the incumbent has raked them in. And um, organizations and advocacy groups that endorse, um, I get it. Um, he still has the power. They were still in session negotiating bills that they were um, working on together. Um, and so organizations that I find near and dear to my heart that um, not only didn't endorse, um, but also didn't, didn't even send me a questionnaire, they get a pass. Um, I still love them. I might not donate as much every year now, but loyalty perpetuates the status quo. If we stay loyal to the people with power, nothing will ever change. We will constantly be rehiring the same people, and we are, then we're choosing the failure that we have. But loyalty is the problem to me. Um, we cannot be loyal to, um, to people with power, or, again, nothing will ever change. Hmm. How about you, Ted? Um, are you seeing... Uh, actually, I sort of forgot what I was asking. You, you went off in a different Incumbency direction. and yeah, money. Yeah. <laughs> what, thank you very much. <laughs> what, what's the challenge for you? You guys maybe should compare notes here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the incumbency advantage is real. It, it's very real. And between the money and, you know, eight years head start of uh, that sort of name ID, it, it definitely poses a challenge. But again, similar to what Sam was saying, we combat that with grassroots. We're not trying to play on the same field because we don't want politics to continue as usual. We're trying to change the game a little bit. So not reinvent the wheel, but definitely change what our representation looks like. It means going to your door and saying, how can I help you? I know there are issues the state isn't doing for you. Tell me, please. I'm, I'm here just to be here for you. Represent your interests, not bring some sort of agenda to Beacon Hill. Um, so between knocking on thousands of doors and getting our message out on social media, which is free and great, um, and I definitely see us having an advantage there. At the same time, I was born and raised here. I have a lot of connections in this community with people who, whether they're elected officials or not, people who care about this community. And it's a word of mouth kind of town. Between Needham, Dover, and Medfield, I've played hockey with kids from Dover and Medfield. I've done theater with uh, people from these districts. Community theater is great. Um, And when you make these connections, people trust you. People know you. And now when you step into a role like this and say, hey, I want to bring our local roots to Beacon Hill, people listen. And I think they see a passion for change. Winston Churchill said it best. To improve is to change. To perfect is to change often. I think people really do vibe with that. Yeah, that's sort of one last question for the both of you. Um, We're in an unusual political time, particularly nationally. And I'm wondering if that's translating down at all to to your districts where you're running, where you see throw the bums out, we want more women, we want younger people. What, what Are you sensing any of that, or is it just wishful thinking on your part? What, which is it? Uh, it's definitely not wishful thinking. I think people have really been um, just shaken. Um, they're... they're um, their spider senses are going off. They're paying more attention. They're watching way too much news, and they're focused on the national news, and there's literally not much we can physically do at the national level. But they can physically get involved and get behind a local or state campaign, and that is very satisfying because we, they are active and very effective at building that bench, and they can now see with without rose-colored glasses on anymore who is actually representing them and what their issues are. So 
as Ted mentioned, when they care about immigrant families, our families getting pulled apart every day, and there's no outrage on Beacon Hill about that bill not even getting to the floor, they can hear that now. They're paying attention. And so I think, again, I forget your question. <laughs> no, <laughs> whether, whether that uh, disruption it, at the national level is, is translating down. It, yeah. it is because people are um, more vigilant, they're paying attention, and they are getting involved. Ted, I'll give you a, a last answer to that if you can, just about whether you're seeing that what's going on at the national stage translating into something that might help you or hurt you at the local level. Absolutely. I see it as helping me. I see it as people who are paying attention more, just as Sam was saying, and people who, after eight years, where in Massachusetts a lot of people were satisfied, good governance is no longer a given. Mm-hmm. And I think we're starting to see that on a state house level where, yeah, we got down to the wire and the laws that we were counting on, the things that we consider Massachusetts a leader on, we're continuing to lag behind. And so I I definitely see it there. People are paying attention and they realize that, you know, we talk about the incumbency advantage, but if you're an incumbent who's part of this entrenchment that's not pushing for progress, that's now a negative. Mm -hmm. And at least for me, in terms of this youth movement, the Parkland students have really set off uh, for what I think is, is new faith in a generation that's willing to act. I think a lot of people see a transition in place. People are willing to invest in our future leadership, people who are going to be looking decades down the road as, as in terms of prudent policymaking. So I've seen that as, as a benefit, and I think it's something that we want the blue wave. And I think we're starting to realize that it's not just about electing Democrats. It's about electing the right ones. Once we're going to really go to Beacon Hill and, and get the legislation passed that we think of as reflecting real Massachusetts values... Any blue just won't do. Hmm. Well, I want to thank uh, Ted Steinberg and Sam Hammer. Uh, Now, Sam Hammer is running for the state Senate. She's from Melrose. Ted is running for the state House of Representatives. He's from Needham. And remember, the primary is on September 4th. Thanks, both of you, for coming. Thank Thank you you so much. See you next week.